chapter 6, verse 18. Praying always. Praying always. At all times. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end. With all perseverance and supplications for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be granted to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, our greatest spiritual resource is prayer. And so, Father God, this morning, I pray that we would leave this church, we'd leave this assembly as people who are convinced that Almighty God loves to hear His children's prayers and that this almighty, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent Creator God that is the God of the Bible has invited us into a living relationship with Him. He has adopted us into His family. He has sent His Spirit into our hearts, crying out to You, Abba, Father. God, I pray that we would be so convinced that we have an audience with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords, with one who really knows us like no one else, who can actually affect and change our circumstances. But more importantly, he can change our hearts in the midst of our circumstances. God, Father, we call you Father. Because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, for as many as received him, even to them who believed into his name, to us you have given us the right. You have given us the authority to be called the children of God, who are born not of flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Thank you. Thank you that we have this right and that we have this privilege to talk to you and call on your name. Lord, we pray that you will work through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we only read three verses, but it's actually a part of the larger context of spiritual warfare, of standing and having to done all to stand. And it's interesting that the Apostle ends this exhortation to stand, to stand firm, to have all the armor on with the exhortation of always praying. As we read that, you may have noticed that the word all or always was used four times in one verse. Prayer is work. 
Prayer is really the key to putting on every single purse piece of the of the armor. The panoply is the Greek word, the English word as well, which means the full and complete integral part of every equipment that God has given you and I to ward off the enemy. Prayer is an endeavor that needs to be a priority. If you're going to secure God's favor, it cannot be apart from prayer. Jesus modeled this throughout his entire ministry. He would get up a great while before day. And he would find a solitary place and there he would pray before Jesus selected the 12 apostles. He spent the entire night in prayer. One time coming down from prayer, the apostles turned to him and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. And then we've got that beautiful prayer called the disciples' prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. This is how we ought to pray. So prayer is a priority. This is not introducing a new idea to this passage, but it's continuating continuation of that exhortation. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's exactly what Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers is that they would recognize, that they would understand the power of God's might. In verse 19 of chapter 1, Paul prayed this, and that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. What a prayer. That's the way you and I ought to pray. God, help me to understand the exceeding greatness of your power. Without faith this morning, we all know this verse, it is impossible to please God, isn't it? For he that comes to God must believe that God exists and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is so powerful because we have a powerful God. It's the object of our faith that makes all the difference in the world, isn't it? It's what we believe in. And we need to understand the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. And it's according to His mighty power. It's according to His mighty power. It has nothing to do with you and I. And what was this power? When was it displayed? Which He worked in Christ when? when he raised him from the dead. You and I ought to pray, God, help me to understand the exceeding greatness of your power. God, help me to understand what you accomplished in my life when you raised your son from the grave and when you baptized me into his death and when you raised me in the likeness of his resurrection. This is the power of God's might that you and I are to stand in. Finally, my brethren, do 
everything to stand. Be strong in the power of his might and the strength of the Lord. Paul, in the book of Philippians, prayed this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The resurrection gives you and I victory over Satan. Christ made an open, public display of Satan's inability to conquer you and I. You and I had a fear of death throughout our entire life. We were subject to bondage. So what did Jesus do in Hebrews chapter 2? He says, Jesus himself likewise took part of the same, flesh and blood, so that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death. Your victory over temptation... It doesn't rely on your ability. It doesn't rely on your just picking yourself up by your bootstraps and say, I am not going to give into this. No, it relies on you yielding yourself to Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's where our victory lies. And this is how you and I put the armor on. We pray each piece on. We pray for God's truth to saturate us. We pray that God would give us a mouth that only speaks words that are honest and integrity. I walk in righteousness, and I pray, God, that if I'm not righteous today, that the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, would cleanse me from all righteousness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And you and I can have that righteousness imputed to you and I freely by the charge of Christ. So I can pray that on. I can pray that armor on. I can pray, God, that you would prepare my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul asked this church to pray for him that he might make it clear as he ought to speak. He wanted people to be praying for him to be an evangelist. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2, 3, and 5, we almost find the identical prayer. He says, continue in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, praying at the same time also for me that God would open a door of utterance, open a door for the word that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Let your speech be seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer every man redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity. Evangelism. You cannot evangelize apart from prayer. And so Paul recognizes that. Everything we do must be saturated in prayer. This great requirement that God has given you and I to stand cannot be accomplished without prayer. What kind of prayer? Constant prayer. Continue in prayer, he says in Colossians 4.2. Praying always, he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. It needs to be constant prayer. What else does this prayer need to look like? It needs to be earnest prayer. How does Paul describe earnest prayer in Ephesians chapter 6? He says, by praying in the Spirit. You and I are very familiar with the story of Elijah. I'm studying it right now because that's where we're going to go next after we're done with the book of Ephesians. 
But Elijah was a man like you and I. That gives me great comfort to know that he was no different from us. James says that. James says that Elijah was a man subject to like passions just as we are. And yet he prayed earnestly, constant prayer, earnest prayer. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and God sent forth the rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit, James chapter 5. We need to have constant prayer. We need to have earnest prayer, and we need to have spirit-filled prayers. The careful equipping of the panoply to resist on the evil day can only be accomplished through the means of prayer. The weapons of our warfare. You know the rest of the verse. They are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not physical. But they are mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's our weapons. The Jewish people always run to Egypt when they got in trouble. And the prophet Isaiah says, those armies, those horses are flesh. They are not spirit. And every time Israel fumbled and stumbled, it was because they did not rely on the power of God's might. And I think we do the same thing in modern Christianity. We run to the doctor. We run to this. We run to that instead of running to God and getting before him on our knees. And I'm not saying we shouldn't use wisdom and make wise choices, but the first thing that we should do before we do anything is to pray. We are called to be a people of constant prayer. Prayer is work. It really is. And it doesn't come natural. It's probably the weakest link in my Christian life. And yet, without it, nothing else is going to go well anyway. It should be our strongest part of our Christian life because Matthew 6.33 says so, right? And you all know that verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Instead, we do it the other way around. We seek everything else and then at the end we say, okay, God, it ain't working, so now I'm going to seek you. Let's look at the word all in these verses. The first one in the New King James is translated praying always. If you've got an ESV or another translation, it says praying at all times. The word times means seasons. There are different seasons that you and I go through. There are different occasions of life that we go through. There are different challenges that we meet day by day. And every one of them calls on us to pray. Every occasion. Everything that you're going to face. There's so many examples. The Old Testament abounds with examples. Different occasions. The first thing they did was pray. You look at Moses. When he's going through the wilderness, the people start grumbling. Moses goes and prays. They're without water. Moses goes and prays. They're without bread. They're without meat. And God tells Moses, you go and pray. Some of my favorite examples of 
Different occasions is when they prayed is when Nehemiah hears the report of the city of Jerusalem just in rubble. What does Nehemiah do on that occasion in that season of life? The first thing he does is he begins to pray. He prayed for almost three months, and then he's before the king Artaxerxes, and he's kind of got a sad look on his face, and the king says, what's up, Nehemiah? You've never looked like this before. You know what Nehemiah did before he answered? Nehemiah prayed, and then he gave an answer. Ezra, we read it this morning. Ezra's taking this wealth all the way back to Jerusalem, over 700 miles on a journey where he knew thieves and robbers that were just going to line the passageway. And he could have gone to the king and said, King Xerxes, give me horsemen, give me spearmen, get us back, give us an escort to get this back. Instead, Ezra said, I proclaimed a fast that we might pray, that we might seek from our God a right way to go because I went out on a limb and I said, our God is a living God. Our God watches over those who put him first and his hand is strong on those who will seek him. And I'm not going to ask the king for escort. We're going to get this wealth all the way back to Jerusalem because our God is with us. So they prayed before they did anything. King David one of his lapses in his faith as he tried to align himself with the Philistines. And by God's providence, he kept him from fighting against his own people, and he sent him back home. And when he was gone, the Amalekites came and they raided the land. And he came back to the village of Ziklag. It was burned to the ground. His wife, his children, all of his possessions, everything was gone. It was so bad that people talked about stoning David. You know what David did? The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. And on that occasion, and that season, and all seasons pray, Daniel, David, rather, Daniel did too, Daniel prayed. David prayed and said, shall I go back and shall I try to recover all this? And God said, you go and you're going to get it all back. There's a couple of times when God's people didn't pray on every occasion. And you can see how it turned out. The book of Joshua is one of my favorite stories because it just shows you how easy it is not to pray and to trust in your own wisdom and to trust in your own insights and instead not praying. What happened when the Gibeonites came? Well, they got their old shoes out. They got their old rotten bread out. They traveled not too far and they came to Joshua and said, oh, we've come from a far country and we're going to make a league with you. Joshua was commanded to Push all the Canaanites out of this land because this land is God's promised land and this is where my people are going to dwell. And if you don't do that, you're going to intermarry, you're going to lose your distinctness, you're going to lose your testimony. Don't compromise. That's the story. So they took their provisions, the Bible says, and they didn't ask counsel of God. A lot of times we think, well, what's there to pray about? This is just the obvious thing to do. No. That could be when you are the most vulnerable. Asa did the same thing. One of the most godly kings in the Old Testament. There was a million-man army from Ethiopia coming against King Asa. And he gets on his knees and he says, God, there is no restriction with you to help with me or with you. We have no power against this might. God gave King Asa an incredible victory over the Ethiopians. And then his next-door neighbor, Israel, 
they come against Judah. And he looks around, he says, you know what, this is a small army. I got enough money in my bank account. If I go and hire some soldiers from Syria, they'll, 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 they'll take care of this. Don't we do that? You know, what's in my bank? Can I write a check for this? No, the first thing you ought to do is say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I take care of the situation? The temptation is to trust in our own resources, our own wisdom, our own insight, instead of trusting in God, because God might have another plan where his power is going to be exalted. So Asa does this, and Hananiah the prophet comes to him. And you guys know this verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is complete, those hearts who are loyal. Now, the rest of this verse, many of you don't remember it, but it says, the rest of this verse says, in this thou hast done foolishly, from henceforth thou have wars, thou shalt have wars. And Hananiah said, when the Ethiopians came, what did you do? You relied on God, and now you're going to rely on your own strength. You blew it, Asa. So when we don't pray on every occasion, on every season, we're going to trust in our own wisdom, our own strength, our own abilities. And so Paul is saying, pray at every season of life. You need to pray. Constant prayer. Praying at all season, a definite time when things are going well. Pray when there's a crisis. Pray when you're at a juncture of life. Pray when you're at a challenge. Pray when you're making a decision. Pray. Every occasion we ought to pray. The next all is with all prayer and supplication. So what is Paul emphasizing here? With all prayer and supplication. There's all kinds of prayers, what he's saying. There's thanksgiving prayers. Pray at all times. Continuously pray. Pray with thanksgiving at times. Pray with worship at times. Pray with thanksgiving at other times. Every season, there's all sorts of prayers. And then he says, with supplication, with specific requests, is what Paul is getting at. And the next thing he says in this verse, he says, praying always or every time, every occasion in life, with all types of prayers, worship, thanksgiving, confession, Adoration, requests, specific prayer needs. He says, in spirit. In the spirit. Now, how do I pray in the spirit? What this means is our prayers need to be under the spirit's control. You pray in the spirit by praying the word of God. That's how you pray in the spirit. This book is God's breath. It is an inspired book. And you want to know how to pray? You pray this book. You pray it back to God. That's how Paul prayed. That's how Jesus prayed. That's how all the great men of God prayed throughout the Bible. When, when Nehemiah was praying, and he prayed in the Spirit, you know what he prayed? He said, God, you have made a covenant with your people. And you said, God, that when we disobeyed, you would scatter us. And God, you have done just that. He says, but God, also you said in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 30, he said, if your people will turn to you, 
you will redeem us from the captivity and we're at and you will send us back to the land God and I'm praying in the spirit I'm praying your word I'm praying your truth and when Nehemiah stood before King Artaxerxes because he prayed in the spirit because he prayed God's word God honored that I know that if I pray anything according to his will he hears us first John right and if I know that he hears us I know that I have the petition that I've desired of him that's how God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray in the Spirit, uniquely, earnestly, powerfully, looking for the Spirit's control and influence in our life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not the human heart and mind. Jude chapter 1 and verse 20, I read this week in my devotions. But you, beloved, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying always in the Holy Spirit. Old King James is what I've written down here on the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Spirit at all times. The Holy Spirit is to guide our prayers, not our desires. This is what Paul said. He says, you know, I don't want to speak five words in a tongue that I don't know. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray with my understanding, and I'm going to pray with my spirit. This morning, you know what we were doing? We were singing with our understanding, weren't we? But it didn't end there, did it? We were singing with our spirit. That's what God wants us to do when we pray. He wants us to pray with our heart, with our spirit. We worship God and in spirit and in truth, and this is the way we were to pray. Oh, things happen when God's people pray in the spirit. And sometimes you and I don't even know what to pray, do we? And that's when we claim Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the spirit himself helps our for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes an intercession for us with groanings which cannot even be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because it makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The next thing that Paul tells us to do in this prayer, it's constant prayer, it's all types of prayers, it's praying in the Spirit, and then he says to be watchful, being watchful to this end, unto this very purpose, it's two pronouns, to this end, to this purpose, with all perseverance. Being watchful in prayer. You know what the word watchful means? It means to be awake. It means to be alert. I don't know about you, but... I am so bad about not following this command, watching my prayer. <laughs> this morning I was praying and I was laying in bed, and that's the first <laughs> bad thing for me to do. I started thinking about everything that I had been praying for and started trying to figure it out in my own head how I was going to figure all of it out. And I was not watching. I wasn't alert. My mind automatically began to drift. When I pray with somebody else, I might really annoy you because I'm going to say, amen, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And Keith does the same thing. And, and, and sometimes when I'm praying and Keith does it, I get distracted, but I probably do the same to him. But here's what I'm, this is the point I'm trying to get at. If I don't do that, brother, I'll stop listening. I want to be listening to what you are praying. I want to be alert. I want to be attentive. I want to be saying, 
Yes, amen, brother. I agree with you in that prayer. And that's the way Paul wants us to pray. He, I, I think we need to pray out loud. And if you're in go to a closet. Find some place. Get alone and talk to God out loud. Talk to him. Because that's the way we watch in prayer. Jesus used that same word many times in reference to eschological things, to be watching. And then he says this, he says, Beware, be watchful, and pray at all times, for you know not when the Lord is going to come. And that's the way we ought to pray. And then lastly, the last all is for all saints. Or concerning. The word for is actually the preposition that means I need to be concerned with everybody that's in this assembly this morning. I am to pray for every one of you. Now, does that stop with me? Paul's writing this to the church, isn't he? This is a command for every one of us this morning. Now, how do we do that? Every one of us needs to spend time getting to know one another, don't we? We need to know each other's spiritual desires. I need to know how to pray for you, and you need to know how to pray one, one for another. That's not going to happen in an hour on Sunday morning, is it? You need to pick up a phone. You need to come to a house fellowship. Hopefully you'll be here tonight to have fun with us and hang out, but more than hang out, listen to the person you're sitting next to so that you can pray concerning them. What struggles do they have? What temptations are they facing? What are their needs? Are we praying for all saints today? I think we can do better. I know I can. My second point is evangelistic praying. You want to see the power of God in your life? You start praying for lost people, and then you take a step of faith and begin to share Jesus Christ with them, and you will experience the power of God in your life. There's nothing, I, 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 I promise you this, you will never be more excited about your Christian faith than when you're talking to a lost soul about Jesus. There is something that just energizes you because you are doing exactly what Jesus Christ has left you to do. You are his ambassador. The other morning, Friday morning, we were in here at school, and Dr. Goers was playing You Are a Messenger, and the kids were kind of, you know, hum-hawing around. Some of them were excited, shouting and pump, pumping the fist, and some of them were standing there, you know, a little bit more reserved. And, and when she got done, Dr. Goers looked at every one of the kids and says, every one of you is a messenger. Every one of us this morning, every one of us is an ambassador. You are representing a kingdom, aren't you? We are representing a king, and every one of us is sending a message. Either we're saying a message that, you know what, I'm kind of indifferent about it. We're sending a message, I'm going to be obnoxious about it and turn you off. Or we can be sending a message, I really care about you and I love you. Jesus Christ came to change your heart and change your life, and you're a sinner, but in 
spite of that, God sent his son to die on the cross for your place. Every one of us are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And where does it begin? It begins in prayer. Paul exhorted the Corinthian church to seek after spiritual gifts. And one of the gifts that I think we ought to pray, God, that you would just bless me with this, that God, that you would give me this, God, give me the gift of evangelism. And if I don't have the gift of evangelism, help me to obey Paul's little letter to Timothy that says, do the work of an evangelist. We are all ambassadors for Christ, and it begins with prayer. Now, where's Paul writing this from? prison, right? If I was writing this letter and I said, pray for me, the first thing on my mind is when am I going to get out of here? Pray for my freedom. Pray that I can get released. When I send out letters and ask people to pray, it's usually because I'm in a desperate situation. And I usually request, God, pray that this, ask this person, pray to help me with this situation. Tracy and I had some soffit work that needed to be done a couple of years ago. We sent letters out to some of our churches. It was going to cost us $10,000 to repair it, and we didn't have $10,000. And so we sent these letters out. And I thought, how many letters do I send out? that says, my next-door neighbor needs Jesus. That's what Paul is doing. He's in prison, and he's saying, I'm in the palace guard, and these people need Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about getting out of jail. It's not about being comfortable. It's not about my bed that I'm sleeping on. It's not the, you know, the conditions of the cell. None of that. He says, pray for me that to me, to my advantage, utterance, the message might be granted. I'm not even talking about myself, Paul says. I'm praying that the message might be granted, an open door. You take this message, God, and you let it run swiftly and be glorified. He wrote the Thessalonians. He said, finally, my brethren, pray that the word of God would run swiftly, that the word of God would have free course, that the word of God would be glorified. When Paul wrote the Romans, he said, it is my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. You want to pray in the spirit, you begin to pray for a lost person and God will change your heart for that person and God will answer that prayer. What Paul is praying for here is boldness. We see that word twice. F.F. Bruce, who's a great Greek scholar and wrote his own um, translation of the book of Ephesians, I read his translation this week, and he uses the word freely instead of the word boldly. So I looked up the Greek word parousia, Elizabeth and Anthony, and we know that the word parousia means boldness, right? But it's got this incredible long definition, and it also means freely, the idea of sharing your faith, that it would happen in a free, natural concourse. He's saying, God, you just open up the door so that it just comes out naturally. 
when people come walking into this, this house where I'm under arrest, may it just fall out naturally, freely, unencumbered. You know, I love it when God does that. And a lot of times I'll tell people just because I want to enlist a question, yeah, my wife and I spent 10 years in Ireland. Oh, what were you doing in Ireland? Then it just opens up a natural way to tell. I, I was there opening the Bible with people. I was doing home Bible studies. We were starting a church, and we would take people through the Gospel of John. And next thing you know, you're talking to that person about the Bible, about the Gospel of John. Tracy would do this when she'd be going for walks with the ladies. And they would ask her about child-rearing. And she'd say, well, you know what it says in the book of Proverbs, such and such. And that's what Paul is saying. Not just boldness, but God, that you would just make it a natural flow of my everyday conversation. And you know what? God did this for Paul. The last thing that we read about Paul in prison is found in the book of Acts. And Paul, two years in his own hired house, he received all that came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all parousia, with all confidence unencumbered, naturally, just freely talking to people. He wrote the Philippians. He says, you know what happened? They put me in prison. And I'm praying, and I asked for churches to pray for me. And then he wrote the Philippians. He says, you know what? The things that happened to me have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. So now the entire palace guard knows that my chains are because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what he writes at the end of that letter? He says, Caesar's household greets you. Paul had taken the gospel to the seat of the Roman Empire, and now people in Caesar's house are followers of Jesus because he just freely, naturally, confidently shared his faith when he was arrested. And that's the way you and I ought to pray. It does also mean boldness. It means fearlessly. It means free of any intimidation. It means confidence, cheerful courage, assurance. Now, why did Paul want that? It tells us this little infinitive here. Pray that it may be granted that I may open my mouth boldly, and here's the infinitive, to make known. He wants it to be clear. God, help me just to say it clearly. Help me to say it freely. Help me to say it boldly. Help me say it courageously so people can come face to face with who Jesus Christ really is. I don't want it to be ambiguous. I don't want it to be just this general call. I want people to know exactly who Christ is. This mystery about the gospel, and then he uses a pronoun that says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul said, pray because I'm an ambassador, but I'm an ambassador in chains. This is what he wrote to Timothy in first, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, Jesus Christ is of the seed of David, and I suffer persecution because of this gospel, even to the point of chains. Then he says something powerful, but the word of God is not chained. It is not bound. 
And you know what God did? One of his pastor buddy friends who had a church in his house had a slave that ran away, got arrested, sent to Rome, and he bumps into none other than the Apostle Paul. And we've got a beautiful book in our Bible about that runaway slave, Onesimus. And he says, perhaps, perhaps old Onesimus ran away for this very purpose so that now he becomes a child of God, not just a slave. In fact, when I'm sending him back, I want you to receive him just like your own son. God was doing some incredible things because Paul asked them to pray. We are ambassadors for the gospel. If you follow Jesus this morning, you are sending a, messenger, a message about the Savior. Our circumstances have no power to hinder the gospel. Only our attitudes. That's what hinders the gospel. Paul says, as I ought to speak. Paul sensed the seriousness of his responsibility as an ambassador. An ambassador is someone who represents another kingdom. And every one of you has been entrusted with this. Paul wrote the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.20. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he's committed to you and I the words of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Eternal things happen when you and I pray. What a wonderful, wonderful tool you and I have. I want to close it with Psalm 127 and verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman waketh in vain. Everything we do, unless it's bathed in prayer, is of no eternal consequences. And yet, if we pray, we can turn it all around, can't we? How do we pray? We pray constantly, don't we? We pray earnestly. We pray, pray fervently. We watch in our prayers. We keep our minds alert. We pray with all sorts of prayers. Worship God. Praise God. Ask for petitions. Confess your sin. All types of prayers, all times, every circumstances. And then we pray for all saints. Everybody in the church, we should be praying at least for two or three people that you've gotten to know, things that they're asking you to pray for, or things that you know that they're doing. Maybe today, after church, you might want to just introduce yourself and say, you know what, I haven't talked to you, I really don't know you, but I want to pray for you this week. How can I pray for you? And then... Let's pray that God would give us opportunities to share our faith. Pray that God will help us make it manifest, make it clear as we ought to speak. Pray that God would not chain the message, but he would unloose it so that it could run swiftly. This morning, when I was going over this passage and I was praying about it, one of the things that we would love to see is this church to grow. But you know what would be just so incredible? If 
Every one of us saw someone come to Jesus Christ next year. And if this church didn't grow because somebody moved from California or because somebody moved from Texas, now I'm not complaining. Y'all stay, okay? <laughs> but wouldn't we, we would be so revived, wouldn't we? We'd be thrilled if somebody came because they came to know Jesus Christ and he said, this is where I want to be discipled. This is where I want to grow. This is where God has brought me because I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. Let's close in prayer. Father God, this morning, we ask, Lord, that we would become a church that is excited and on fire because of prayer and because what we can see you accomplish through answered prayer. God, may our testimony be the things that have happened to me have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel and that I'm sharing my faith freely, <coughs> naturally, unambiguously, confidently, courageously, and boldly. God, open those doors of utterances so that we might make known the mystery of Christ. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.